Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Uh, hey, if you've got a Bible, would you grab it? And we'll be in Mark chapter 11 this morning where the big question is this. What do you do when Jesus challenges you? Um, a few weeks ago, we kicked off this series in the final week of Jesus's life. And what we saw is we looked at on Sunday how Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem as a triumphant king. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what happened on Monday when Jesus uh, enters and cleanses the temple. And um, if you weren't here for that, here's what happens, because that sets the whole scene we're going to uh, read about today. Jesus goes into the most sacred space in Jewish life, and he sees how the people have lost their way. He sees how they have turned what was supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And so he flips over tables. He challenges that. He says, this is not right. This needs to change. And the question is, what do you do when Jesus shows up in your life and starts doing the same thing? Where um, maybe it's through a sermon you hear. Maybe it's through your own devotional time as you're reading the scriptures for yourself. Maybe it comes through the voice of a brother or sister in Christ who deeply loves you and speaks into your life. What do you do when through any of those things the Holy Spirit begins to point at something in your life and say, Hey, this thing right here, you know that? That's not what I made you for. This here, it needs to change. I have so much more life for you than that. What do you do when God challenges something in your life? Um, today, we're going to see an example of how you don't want to respond when that happens. Um, see, Scripture is filled uh, with positive examples for our instructions, but then there are also a lot of negative examples in Scripture. And what I love about the Bible is it's more honest than any other book that's ever been written. Um, the positive and negative examples usually come from the same person's life. Um, so there's no heroes in the Bible, truly, except for Jesus. We look at any of the saints that came before us that we can learn from, and there's positive and negative in their life. We've seen it in the Gospel of Mark, where our boy Peter Chapter 1, page 1 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus shows up into his life and says, hey, leave behind everything you've ever known and come follow me and I'll lead you into a new kind of life. I'll make you a new kind of human. I'm going to lead you into a flourishing you could never imagine. And Peter, here's the crazy thing, he leaves his net, his career, his relationship behind and he follows Jesus. That's a positive example for all of us as we seek to follow Jesus today. Um, Peter's got some real highs in his life. And then you read a couple chapters in, he begins to run his mouth. Um, you get to a point where in Mark chapter 8, Jesus has to say, hey, Peter, why don't you go take a nap and sit down and be quiet because you sound a lot like Satan right now. Um, Peter's a guy with high highs and low lows. There are good examples in his life that we can learn from, and there are negative examples. The scripture's always honest about these things, and the negative examples are also here to teach us something, because in the positive examples, we see here's what it looks like to follow Jesus into life, but in the negative examples, we see examples of sin, unbelief, hard-heartedness, foolishness that God in his great grace has recorded in scripture— so that we wouldn't get discouraged when we fail, we would see we're not the first. But additionally, I believe that these examples are here to show us, um, hey, here's some sin that if you have a teachable heart, you can uh, see it there so you don't have to live it firsthand and you don't have to live this folly for yourself. That's what we've got before us in our text today. Um, we're going to see some hard-heartedness, um, some foolishness, and some sin that Jesus is going to expose in these religious leaders. And I really think um, maybe he wants to expose in some of us this morning. Are you ready? 
Wow, that was more chipper than I, I thought. I guess we're getting used to saying that, but um, here, here's what I'll say. If, if you're like, expose us this morning, let's just remember who we're coming to. This is the Jesus who only ever exposes brokenness and folly in order to heal and lead us into life. So I, I know you guys are excited already. I was a little nervous, so I had to say that for me. Mark chapter 11, we'll pick it up in verse 27. It says this. And they came again to Jerusalem. And he was walking in the temple. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, that's kind of the religious elite, the religious leaders, they came to him, verse 28, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why didn't you believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And Jesus said to them, Then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So um, some people, when they're challenged by Jesus, um, they walk away. Um, we saw this earlier in the Gospel of Mark with the rich young ruler. You've got this guy who comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I, I, I'm young, I've got money, I've got power, I've got everything the world says I want, but I'm empty inside. What must I do to have true life? And, and Jesus looks at him. I, I love this story. It says Jesus looked at him. He loved him. And he told him the truth. He says, here's how you will find true life. Follow me and I'll lead you into life. It's the same op uh, option he gave to Peter. It's the same invitation. But the rich young ruler hears what Jesus wants to do in his life. And he walks away sad. He walks away. See, some people, when they hear how Jesus wants to work in our life and challenge us, they just walk away. And, and hear me, it's not a great response, but at least it's honest. And, and what I will say from experience is there's all the hope in the world for those who walk away from Jesus. I know a lot of people who walked away from the church, walked away from Jesus, and then ended up getting saved by Jesus, coming to true faith. I mean, gosh, that's my own story. Um, so if you've got some runaways in your life who were here and they, they've left the church, and like, I, I know the concern there. Here's what I would say is, be praying for them. Um, I, I really believe it was the prayers of my grandparents and the people that loved me that prayed me back into the kingdom of God. What we see in the scriptures is God loves to chase after runaways. There's all the hope in the world for someone that would be that honest when challenged by Jesus to say, no, thank you. But our text today, it's not about runaways. It's about a far more dangerous spiritual condition. It's about those who are moralistic and religious, and because their religion is so important to them, rather than run away, they play this game. Look at how the game goes down in our text. The religious leaders come to Jesus and they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, I think that's a fair question, if they actually meant it. Because um, what we see in the Bible is Jesus' day was a lot like our day, where you had... Uh, fools walking around doing crazy stuff and then playing the God told me card. Have you ever had this happen to you? Um, I had a friend in college where uh, she had a man come up to her at church and say, God told me that I'm going to marry you. And she said, oh really? Because he hadn't told me that. That's news to me. 
But he played the, the God told me card. Like, oh, as you just get to know the Lord, he'll just reveal it to you. And I just say, he didn't because God didn't tell him that. He was a liar or deceived. I don't know what it was. But see, um, fools have abused the God told me card when God has never said any such thing. And, and so I, I get the question here. Additionally, I will also say this. I always want to have real talk in church. God says some things in the Bible that if we're just being honest, can we just be honest, seem a little shocking to us as finite humans, right? And so not only do fools abuse the God told me card, but there are things that as Psalm 1 says, we have to meditate on them and think deeply on them to see the wisdom in them because we're finite, we're limited, and in a gut reaction, we might not understand an infinite creator. So we need to meditate on it. And so look, I, I get the question. I think it's totally fair. If you're here this morning, you've got questions about God. You've got questions about life. You're not sure what he said. You're not sure if it's good. Uh, what I will say is if that's you this morning, bring your questions to God. Your questions are not too big for him. God loves to answer real questions from real people. And, and so do we here. This is why every week I tell you, go to fairoaks.org ask and send in your questions. This is why after Easter, we're going to do uh, a sermon series where we're going to invite you uh, to send in your big kind of um, difficult questions about God, life, faith, whatever, and we'll take a week to answer each of the top ones. We're going to do a series on this because I believe with all of my heart that when we bring our real questions to God, God meets us where we're really at and that God's not freaked out by our questions, that he is big enough and good enough to meet us in that place. But that's not what's going on here. And Jesus knows it. And I want you to see that's not what's going on here. Because if you don't see this, you're going to be very confused why Jesus is so harsh with these guys. See, Jesus says this. He says, I've got a question for you. And if you answer this question for me, then I'll answer your question. See, I love this about Jesus. He knows that their hearts are hard. He knows that they're not being honest, that they're not being real. But Jesus loves us and honors us enough to let us always say out loud what he already knows. So he says to them, hey, was the baptism of John from heaven, from God? Or was it from man? Was it made up? Was it a bad thing? And, and these religious leaders, they, they huddle up and they say, all right, fellas. Um, if we say that John was from heaven, that means he's a legitimate prophet. Um, well, then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you believe him? Because John said on repeat that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. And so if we say we believe that John is a prophet, then we have to believe Jesus is the Messiah because John left no doubt about that. But, um, so we can't say that, but then if we, if, if we say that we think it's from man, that he wasn't really a prophet, well, all the people watching right now, they're going to be very angry at us because they all believe that he is a, was a prophet. He had recently been beheaded, if you're wondering why it was past tense. And so we can't, we can't say that either. And so what these guys do, the religious elite that are supposed to be the authority on this say, when Jesus says, hey, was John legit or not? They go, we don't know. This would be like asking a CPA, like, will I be in trouble if I don't file my taxes on time? Now, if you ask me that, I say, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like there's a billion exceptions out there. I didn't study it. I don't know. But if you go to a CPA and you say, if I file my taxes late, am I going to be in trouble? And they go, ah, I just don't know. Like, that's a humiliating moment. Jesus has just exposed these guys in front of the crowd. He asked them a simple religious question that the average person on the street knows plain well. But these religious leaders, they can't be honest. And so the path they take is to say, we don't know. It's to claim ignorance. In other words, I always just want to be honest and use real talk here. They lied. 
Instead of engaging honestly and say what they really think, they hold back. And in so doing, their hearts are exposed and they're proven to be fools in front of the entire crowd. And so what we see in this response of we don't know is um, these religious leaders that come to Jesus with this question, they're not curious about Jesus. They're not honest seekers. It's, it's not like if Jesus answered them, they would actually listen and submit to his authority. They just said, well, we can't say this because then we'd have to submit to his authority, and we don't want to do that. So it's not that they're legitimate seekers. They're not legitimately curious. These guys have no intention of submitting their lives to Jesus Christ. And so they show up with these questions in order to try to discredit him in front of the crowd, to embarrass him. And if they can, maybe try to redefine this Jesus so that they can go about their lives and ignore everything Jesus just said in the temple and still claim the moral high ground. That's how the game was played in the first century. That's what these religious leaders are doing. And that's why Jesus is like, I'm not even going to talk to you guys. This is ridiculous. Are you kidding? You're going to come here like that? You're going to come here and pretend to be something that you're not? Like, I don't meet you there. I meet real people where they're really at. I meet the woman at the well who comes and says, my life is a mess and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll meet her there. But you pretenders, get out of here. And, and, and look, it, that's how it went in the first century. And I think it's really easy to go, those dumb religious leaders, how foolish they are. But here, here's what I'll tell you. Um, I think we still play the same game in 2022. I think it just looks different. I think that it just looks different after a couple thousand years of church history. I think that this is more of a danger for us than we might think at first. And so what I want to do is just chat about a few ways that I see this game at play in the church today so that we might really hear from the word of God, not just look down upon them and judge them for what they've done wrong, but that we might let the word of God divide the thoughts and intentions of our heart and speak into our life and apply this truth to our lives today. So let's chat about a few ways I think you see this game play out in the church today. Because the reality is, um, the times have changed, but people have not. We still sin. Even Christians, I hate to break this to you, Christians still sin. In fact, I will say this, the more mature of a believer you are, the more aware you are of your sin, and the more aware you are of God's grace. It's the junior varsity Christians that think that they have sinless perfection, and they really have no idea what God wants to do in our lives. So Christians still sin. It's not like there's uh, sinless people in here and sinners out there in the world. We're all sinners. The question is, has our sin been covered? Are we under the grace of God or, or not? That's the only difference in the world. So Christians still sin today, and God still, in his love and grace, doesn't just let us continue sinning, comes into our life like Jesus comes into the temple, and he challenges what's broken in our life so that he might lead us into life. And when Jesus does that, when he begins to point to that thing in our life and say, I have more life for you than that, daughter— Son, I've got more for you than that. When he begins to do that, we we have a choice. We can either see that sin for what it is and repent and find true life in Jesus' name. Or, if it's something we don't want to give up, if it's something that we have no intention of submitting to the leadership of Jesus Christ in our life, then we begin to play games, just like these religious leaders. They just look a little bit different today. They're just kind of modernized. Here's um, the first game. Number one is we play the authority game. 
And I mean, that's straight here in the text. We just bring it into 2022 with a fresh flavor. This is where people say, God has no authority to challenge me like this. I can't tell you the number of Christians I've sat with that would say, I can't believe in a God who would say that. Um, God wants me to be happy. That wouldn't make me happy. So no, I don't believe in a God who could challenge me like this. God doesn't have the authority to tell me no to that thing in my life, or he doesn't have the authority to tell me and go do the thing that he just told me to go do. And, and, and here's the thing, because these people, remember, we said we're not talking about runaways today. Some people see what God wants and they run away from the church like the rich young ruler. We're talking church folk today. This is a, an in-house discussion about some family issues we might have. Because these people, like the religious leaders, can't walk away, what we begin to do is, well, we say, oh man, my issue's not with Jesus, it's just with the Bible, it's just like the religious leaders saying, oh, my issue's not with Yahweh and the temple, it's with this Jesus. It's just the 2022 version on this side of the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. We say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm totally good with God. I can believe whatever God says. I just can't trust the Bible because, you know, I mean, it's a, there's this popular idea today that the Bible is a human book that's full of errors, and it might have been fine for those morons two millennia ago, but for us today, it can't possibly tell us what Jesus wants to do to lead us into life today. They couldn't have possibly predicted the situation we find ourselves in today. And so it sounds really sophisticated, right? Like, oh yeah, I, I totally follow Jesus. I just, I don't trust the Bible. I've got to sift out what's good and what's bad in the Bible. It's the same instinct of the religious leaders that are saying, hey Jesus, we're totally cool with Yahweh. We're just not sure that you speak for him. And it sounds sophisticated, but can we just talk about this for a minute? Um, like, don't you think if, if this were solely a human product, um, don't you think that Mark and Peter and the other New Testament authors might have edited out all the times that they act like idiots? You, you ever think about that? Like, like, if this is just Mark and Peter getting together and writing down their thoughts, do you think Peter's going to be like, oh yeah, then Jesus called me Satan, and then, oh yeah, and then I totally deny Jesus in his hour of need. This will really bolster my position in the church. Like, no, we still think about it, though. Like, do you think that Mark, if this was solely a human product, would have made men the witness to the resurrection? Because... Spoiler alert, we get to Mark 16. The only thing Mark tells us is that women saw Jesus raised from the dead. The problem with that, and yes, that's a great thing. I love that because God wrote that. But if Mark wrote it, here'd be the problem. That's not admissible in the courts of law in the first century. So if Mark is trying to write a credible testimony of his own invention. He's doing a terrible job. It's almost like God's writing something that's timeless that's going to, in 2022, make us say, yeah! See, we just don't think about these things, though. Like, I, I think some people just believe whatever they hear on the History Channel. Like, the Bible's full of errors. Like, which ones? Well, you know all of them. We just believe whatever some moron says on the History Channel, and we need to think more critically about it. I'm not saying there's not tensions and things that we need to think on, but I will return to Psalm 1 and say, as you meditate on the Word of God as the book tells you to do, you can begin to see how it actually fits together. It just takes more than your gut 140 character instant 21st century reaction to it it takes a little critical thinking it takes a little critical thinking but some people don't do that and so they say i believe jesus i can't believe the bible and 
And frankly, I think some people don't do that because they don't want to. Because they don't want to believe in a God who would ever tell them no. And rather than walk away like an honest person would at least do, they play the authority game like the religious leaders to go, hey, I'm cool with Jesus, I just don't know about the Bible. I only do what Jesus tells me directly. Which is really convenient because... um, Jesus, the Jesus in your mind that speaks to you directly, he never disagrees with any of your previously held conceptions about the world. Do you see the problem in that? Like when you play the authority game and excuse away all the parts of the Bible that you find offensive, that you don't like, you no longer have a relationship with the living Jesus. All you have is your made-up Jesus. And he might not challenge you. He might not be difficult to follow. But here, I will tell you this. He cannot lead you into life. He cannot take you anywhere you wouldn't have taken yourself because he's made up in your own mind. And so the first game, the authority game, it's exactly what the religious leaders are doing. Hey, we'll do Yahweh, but we're not sure about Jesus. The 2022 version is, we'll do Jesus, we're just not sure about the Bible, which is really saying we won't do the living historical Jesus, we'll do our made-up Jesus. It's a game, it's a game to be played. Now some of you are like, dude, I totally don't do that. I love the Bible. I I submit to who Jesus really is. I don't make up fake versions. Okay, well, let's get to us. Number two, you've got the authority game. Number two, though, there's the bargaining game. Now, most people I know wouldn't openly call it this, um, but here's what happens. See if you can relate to this. God says something to us. Like, he calls that sin in our life and says, this must stop. Or maybe he says something positive, like, you got to get in the game here. I've gifted you. I've called you to play. There's darkness. Get in the game. Push it back. You are valuable. You have worth. You can impact this world. When God says something like that to us, but we don't want to do it, here's what we say. God, I'll do anything else you want. So I can't do that thing, but like, man, I'll give to the church more. Um, I'll go serve the homeless Um, And man, I'll even serve in kids ministry. I hear they need more help back there. I really don't want to do that. But you know what? I'm so committed to you. I will go serve in children's ministry. And and hear me, we do need more people in children's ministry if the Holy Spirit prompts you this morning. That's great. Uh, (laughs) A sign of a growing church. Um, Number two, feeding the homeless is great. Jesus loves that. He's for that. So don't, don't hear me saying any of those things are wrong. What I'm saying is when Jesus tells you to do something and you say, I'm not going to do that, but I'll go do all of these other good things, that's a bargaining game. Here's why it's bargaining. Because what we're saying is when we're confronted with something we don't want to do, we just get busy with religious activity in another direction, assuming that Jesus is just grateful that we're doing something. Um, which I just want you to think about how that conversation plays out in heaven. Like, um, God says, okay, Jesus, Spirit, come here. We got, we got a Trinity huddle up right now. Um, we just told Chad what we want him to do. He won't do it, but he said he's willing to spend 30 more minutes reading his Bible every morning. So he's not going to do what we asked him to do, but we'll have 30 minutes a day where we can tell him more stuff that he's not going to do. Isn't it great that he's trying to do something? Can you, can you see how crazy this is that we think that God's going to be so pleased? Like, he's told us what to do. We get busy everywhere else. And, and here's the thing. See, people playing this game look really busy with religious activity on the outside. People playing this game look really spiritual on the outside. They make great church members because they sign up for all the events. They serve. They give. They're involved. But on the inside... They've got no joy in their walk with Jesus Christ because here's what you do when you play the bargaining game. 
You say, God, I'm not going to listen to you there. I'm going to do all these other things that I know you value, not the one thing you told me to do. And what begins to happen is you, you just deaden your walk with Jesus because he's not going to talk to you if you won't listen to him. This is how the Lord works. Is he's just going to keep coming back to that. Like, I wasn't kidding about this. And, and, and I love you. I'll keep pressing you on that. But I don't want to move on to other things when I've already told you what's important in your life. So you, so you undercut your own joy in the Lord. And then your, your, your ministry, it might look very busy, but here, here's what I, I tend to think, is I think it probably tends to lack spiritual power. Because you might be doing the right stuff, feeding the poor, giving to the church, serving in children's ministry. But you're doing all that stuff to avoid what God actually wanted you to do. And if you've read this book and, and your conclusion would be, I think he's okay with that, I'd want to sit down and talk about what stories you were reading in here. And look, we can... Let me just say this to be real with you as your pastor. This is the one I identify with. As I'm writing these out, I'm like, oh my goodness. I can so often feel like, Jesus, I'm so busy for you. And there's things that he's revealed to me that I'm like, I'll get to that when I have time. Can anyone relate to that? I would submit that that's probably a form of bargaining because the reason you don't have time is because you don't want to do it. And there's other things that are more interesting to you than that. And look, I know there's some of you in here this morning that you're just dry in your walk with God. You come in here and you're like, I haven't felt joy in the Holy Spirit like I used to. And I, let me just say to you from experience, I wonder if you might be playing the bargaining game. And the reason that you don't feel that joy is because of everything we've just described so far. Is maybe a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, a God said to do this and you said, no, but I'll do anything else. And he hasn't talked to you about anything else. And so you're dry. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't want anyone to leave this sermon and start obsessing over their past and to try to like journal out, okay, what's every moment in life I might have disobeyed God? That's, that's not my intention with this sermon. My intention is to say, if you feel dry in your walk with the Lord, um, maybe this is the morning where you ask him, God, is there something you've asked of me that I've not been obedient in? Is there something that I have been putting off and focusing on other things? Is there something that you want to talk to me about? Because you might be surprised with the answer he gives you. Because he loves you and I can promise you he's ready to talk about it if you are. So, so that's the bargaining game. Then we have the grace game. Um, this one really drives me crazy because it takes a beautiful thing and it twists it. Um, what the grace game is, is this is where people act as if somehow God expecting us to obey him and follow him is somehow ungracious. Because for people playing the grace game, grace means to do whatever you want. The only problem with that is that's not what grace means. That's not what grace has ever meant. What grace is, we say this all the time, grace is undeserved love. It's often translated a gift. It's something that you and I do not deserve. It's this powerful and beautiful thing we see in the scriptures where we're told on repeat that God sees us as we are in our sin and foolishness, and he loves us anyway. That's grace. I am not worthy of God's love, but he has poured out his love on me. That 
is grace. Grace says God sees you as you are and he loves you right where you're at, not some future version that you sitting in the pew right now struggles and all. That's what grace means. But grace has never meant that God wants to leave you in the pew where you're at in your struggles. In fact, if you go read Titus chapter 2, what you will read there is that the grace of God has appeared to train us to renounce all ungodliness and darkness in our life. That God has poured out his grace on us so that he could love us where we are at and then move us from where we are at to a new position, to a new life so that he can build something new and beautiful because he loves us too much to want us to stay where we're at. But people playing this game, the grace game, they don't want to change. They just want to stay where they're at and wear the Christian label and pretend like everything's okay. They don't want to renounce the darkness in their lives. And so impressed by Jesus, someone playing the grace game will say something like this. Well, I I don't want to be legalistic. Which I'm like, at that point, legalism ain't your problem. It's, It's really not. Legalism can be a problem, but someone playing the grace game that just has no desire to change and just excuse their sin, legalism is the farthest thing I'm worried about in their lives at that point. In fact, I'm worried that they don't understand grace. So that's the grace game. And look, those, those are three. Those are the most common ones I've seen in pastoral ministry, have experienced in my own life. Um, there's probably more ways that the game is played in the church today. It, gospel community, talk about it this week. Add to my list. Tell your group what I missed. Here's what I believe about the church is um, we have many body parts here, and some of you will have perspective that I don't. Bring that a group this week. But here's the thing you need to see in the story. Playing these games, regardless of which one it is, playing games with Jesus is dangerous. Playing games with God is dangerous because it not only keeps you from God here and now like we've been talking about, but listen to this parable that Jesus follows up with. Mark chapter 12 now, we're into chapter 12. He continues speaking to them, 12.1, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. And dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. But again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And then he sent another and him they killed And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. But he still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
and they were seeking to arrest him. But they feared the people, for they perceived that this parable had been told about them. So they left him and went away. Um, Jesus tells this parable, and they say, we're going to kill him. Because they perceive rightly that this parable was told against them. And if you're wondering why are they so angry, like some dude had a bad day at the wine, wine press, he didn't get the bottles of wine he wanted, what does that have to do with these guys? You have to remember what we said two weeks ago, that the Old Testament describes Israel as a vineyard planted by God to bear fruit and to bless the nations. And here in this parable, Jesus picks up on that picture and he basically tells the story of the Old Testament. And these guys heard it this way. As Israel became fruitless, which he addressed in the temple just prior to this, as Israel became fruitless, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to call them back. As evil and injustice began to fill Israel to make it darker than even the surrounding world, God began to send to them the prophets to call them back to himself and say, this isn't who you are. I've given you a new identity. I saved you for a new life. Why are you living like this? God sent them prophet after prophet, who, by the way, in the Old Testament are called servants. He sends them servant after servant after servant to call them back from their evil and their injustice and their folly. But the people wouldn't listen. If you know your story of the Old Testament, they treat the prophets shamefully, just like in this parable. Um, Ezekiel was driven out into the desert. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, uh, church history records for us, was sawn in two. Not like in some magic trick. That was the end of his life. Um, Jeremiah, they threw into a pit, and there's this really depressing line in Jeremiah where it says they threw him into the pit and he soaked into the mud. He just sank down into it. Um, And the most recent prophet God sent to the people, John the baptizer, has just been beheaded for being faithful and telling Herod what God has been saying since page one of the Bible. See, the people, particularly their leaders, did not treat the prophets well because they didn't want God to call them on their sin. They wanted to be evil. They wanted to be unjust. They wanted to live however they wanted to live. They didn't want a God to speak into their life and describe true flourishing. And so this is the history of Israel. So then you got to ask the question, who then are the wicked tenants? It's the religious leaders. The ones who were supposed to lead Israel this whole time. Jesus says to them, the temple is fruitless. And it happened on your watch. And just as you abuse the prophets for telling you the truth about this, even even as you right now want to kill me, if you persist in playing these games and refuse to actually listen to God, you will end up on the outside. You will be kicked out and thrown out of the vineyard and the father will take his murdered son and build from him a new people that will become a true vineyard that will actually show the world what God is like. And there is both a warning and an invitation in that. This parable is a warning and an invitation. Now, now the the religious leaders, spoiler alert, they're not going to heed the warning. Um, I want to plead with you this morning to heed the warning and accept the invitation. So let's talk about the warning and the invitation in this parable. 
The warning is this. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders in the first century and to all of us today, if you persist in playing games with God, if you won't bring your real self and you just want to pretend these and play these church games where you act like everything's okay on the outside but your heart's not right, God will not be mocked. You you might fool everyone in church. You might have everyone thinking you're a great guy or a great gal that really loves Jesus, serves the Lord. You might trick everyone into thinking you're spiritual. You might even fool yourself. But one day, Jesus will return and he will call you on what you've done. This is the promise of the New Testament. It is both a warning and an invitation. That the God who knows our hearts will one day return to earth to judge the living and the dead. And all who played games, instead of repenting in their sin and trusting Jesus, but played these games to keep God at an arm's length and to avoid having to repent, those people will end up on the outside when all is said and done. That's the warning. And, And I'll tell you this. When judgment day comes, you and I, we're going to be surprised at some of the people who make it in, could be like, that guy, Jesus? I knew you were gracious, but are you kidding me? But we're also going to be surprised by some of those who are on the outside. Um, And I love you. I need to say this this morning. You might be surprised to find out where you are on that day. And I don't want you to be surprised. I love you. Jesus doesn't want you to be surprised. He loves you. That's why he said this. That's why he wrote this down. That's why he gives this warning to say, don't play those games. It's not going to end well. But there's not only a warning in this text. There's also an invitation. The invitation is, let's stop playing these church games. Let's stop keeping Jesus at an arm length and get honest for once. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been honest. The invitation in the parable I would submit to you is this. What we see in this parable is that God is a gracious God who in spite of our sin and folly sends messenger after messenger after messenger to call us back. Do you see that in this parable? Like even as we play games with him, and treat those who would speak the word of God honestly to us, abusively, harshly, wrongly, even as we treat brothers and sisters in Christ who their only sin is to love us enough to speak honestly into our life, even as we cut them out of our lives and get harsh with them, and treat God's servants and his messengers cheaply. God loves us so much that he sent his beloved son to do something that we couldn't possibly ignore. If you read this parable, the death of the son, it is this tragic moment in the story where it's like the father goes, okay, I've got one most cherished person to send them. And when he does, they respond by killing the son. And it's this tragic moment. But did you catch what Jesus said? He said, this was the Lord's doing. This was all a part of his plan. See, when Jesus hangs on the cross, the father is not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, I risked way too much by sending my son. The moment that Jesus is hanging on the cross, God is accomplishing his plan that started way back before everything broke in the world. This is the Lord's doing because he knew that through the death of his son, sinners like you and me could be forgiven. 
and receive a new heart that instead of playing games with God or running from God, can respond in faith, can respond well to God. And this is why God sent his son into the world. He gave his son because he loves you. And it's all a part of his plan to rebuild a new kind of people on the cornerstone that is Christ. That's what the parable is about. It's a warning for those who want to persist in their sin and keep God at a distance, but it's an invitation for, hey, anyone that feels like I need God to rebuild my life. I've made a mess of my life, but if he could love me so much to send his son that in the midst of that mess, he would build something new in me and through me, yes, please, I will take him up on that. And that's the invitation of grace in this parable. It is not to say that God sent his son to die so that you could stay exactly as you are. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you as you are. And look, I, I know that right now Satan wants you to feel condemned for the ways you fall short. Um, I think Satan would love it if you would run from God this morning or, or continue to play games because you want to keep God at an arm's distance because you're like, I'm not sure if he knew what I've done that he would actually still love me. I think Satan would love for you to keep playing those games to keep God at a safe distance because he's terrified of what might happen if you came honestly to God and received his grace and had a new life that is built on the cornerstone that is Christ. That is, Satan tried to snuff out Christ on the cross. Christ dies to build a new humanity in his image that spreads to the ends of the earth, his grace and his love and his mercy. And that's what scares the hell out of Satan. It's the gospel. God wants you, Satan wants you to be condemned this morning, but God wants you to see his love in the cross and realize there's nothing that you can come to him and say this morning that's going to make him change his mind about you. Nothing you can say that he'll say, that's too far. I can't believe you did that. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. And the cross of Jesus Christ assures that. And so here is the real invitation of grace. In view of God's death-defying love for you and me, let's quit playing games. Let's get honest with the God who loves us right where we're at. Not some future version of us that doesn't struggle the real you and the real me right where we're at. And let's lead that, let's let that God lead us into a new kind of life, a life that might feel like death at times to us, a life that might feel challenging to us, but in Jesus's words, it will be nothing short of marvelous. That's the invitation this morning. You can play your games or you could come and say, thank you for your grace. I want you to build a new and marvelous life in me. And so I, we would invite you to respond to Jesus this morning. One of the things you see in this parable is Jesus is God's final revelation. There's nothing more coming. There's no more prophets. There's no more gospels. There's a lot of false religions that say, you got to tag this on to Jesus. The Bible proclaims Jesus is the fulfillment and the ultimate revelation of God. God has no other proof to give us in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ of how much he loves us and can be trusted to lead us into life. And so I, I plead with you to respond to him this morning. Um, there's a few ways you can do that. The first is through prayer. You can, as we begin to sing in just a moment here, you can right where you're at, talk to God and get honest with him. Maybe you need to confess some games you've been playing. Maybe you need to 
ask him for help following him and whatever he's called you to. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that's not any of that, but you need to talk to him about it this morning. I, I, would, I would urge you to bring your real self to God right where you're at this morning before you rush out of here and talk to him in prayer. And then once you've done that, um, we'd invite you also to respond for those who've trusted in Jesus to take communion with us. The elements are right there in front of you and you could take that and remember the gospel that we just preached, that God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us, that he's for us, that whatever we can confess to him, we take communion and tangibly taste and see that God's still for us and God is still good. So we'd invite you to respond in prayer. We'd invite you to respond with communion. You can also respond by giving of your offerings to say, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done uh, for me. And certainly, um, we're going to end our service by singing the praises of the one who would send his son to die for sinners like you and me. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then I'd invite you to respond to God. You can begin even now if you want to tune me out, but I'd like to pray for you as we get into this moment of service. Father, thank you that you are a gracious God. Thank you that in, in spite of my sin and rebellion, your response was to send your son. Your response was to send people into my life to tell me about Jesus, to pray for me, to minister to me, and to work in so many ways to call me to yourself. I thank you for your grace towards me and for um, the so many stories of grace that are represented in this sanctuary this morning. Father, um, I ask that you would be at work this morning to do some new stories of grace. That for those of us who know and love you, and maybe we've just been playing some games with you, would you free us from that this morning? Would you help us to respond, not like the religious leaders, but like the disciples who, in seeing our sin, would respond in faith and take you up on your invitation? Would you um, free some folks in the pews this morning? who've just been stuck for a long time. Would you send your Holy Spirit to be gracious? And I pray, God, that you would make some new stories of grace, that you might make some new Christians this morning, or you might do some action this morning that would reverberate from this place that would result in new Christians being made through new prayers and new supplications being made in faith. God, I ask you to be you. I ask you to do what you've always done through history. Do it afresh in our day. Make the gospel more real to us that we might respond in faith to you during this time. You know how each of us need it. And so I pray you'd meet us where we're at. In the beautiful name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.